Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you are a content creator and you want a great program that provides studio quality sound, especially when you're doing interviews, then I encourage you to check out Zencaster. That's right, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. It is my absolute favorite program to record with. I encourage everyone to check it out, okay? Visit Zencaster.com for more information. Enjoy. Folks, you know, one of the things that I love to do in the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast is collaborate with content creators and journalists, uh, folks who really do a great job of covering sports, especially when it comes to combat sports, including pro wrestling. So on this episode, I have a great conversation with a guy that I just have a lot of respect for. I think he does a great job and he has a cool Twitter feed, which I'm going to plug him right now at the underscore Jermaine. J-E-R-M-A-I-N-E. Definitely encourage everybody to check it out. So without further ado, welcome to my my brother from the Houston area, Brother Jermaine. And, and let's start from the top, Jermaine, because you are an actual journalist. I know that you do a lot of um, podcast hosting and things of that nature in addition to your writing. Talk to me about how your career started. Um, I started interning for a local sports radio station here back in 2009 in Houston and just started doing some interning video work, uh, helping production and stuff like that. It moved into me um, also doing some writing for the radio station's website, which I've been doing consistently since like 2018, 2017 now. And lately, my biggest thing has just been opinion pieces. I don't have to go out and cover games or anything anymore. I just basically get paid to, you know, couple times a week throughout the year, what have you, uh, just give my opinion on on things. And, and the good thing is, is that my editors have given me free reign to come up with the topics and write how I want to write. So that's been really awesome. Now, again, you're you're a guy that's based in Houston, Texas. What are some of the things? What, what are some of the things that's been uh, the most successful for you that you've covered, especially more recently? This year so far, I would probably have to go with some of the stuff on the Astros has been really big for me. Um, I want to say maybe some stuff, some positive things about the Texans. And um, one of the other articles that I wrote was actually about how all three of the major sports teams here, the, the Texans, the Rockets and the Astros currently have quality general managers reshaping these rosters as far as the Texans and the, the Rockets are concerned, back into contenders and how James Click of the Astros has come in and kept that roster afloat despite all the negativity with the cheating scandal and whatnot and losing players. So those are some of the things that have been really um, 
really big articles for me. And it got to a point where my editor was like, dude, I'm just going to stop texting you when you have a good article. If something falls off, then I'll text you. He was like, I'm tired of texting you every week saying your numbers did great. I'll just text you if something goes wrong. So when I heard that, I was just like, oh, wow, like that's that's crazy. And the, the, the craziest part is, is that the station went through a lot of changes with COVID and everything. And so they had to make a lot of budget cuts. I was like one of the only freelancers that they kept on. And not only have I stayed on through the pandemic, they're like, hey, you know, we can't wait till football season starts back up so we can have you writing a couple of times a week more than what you do now. And I'm just like, hey, you know, whatever y'all want, I'm here for. I'm just trying to be a team player. So you're a journalist. You're a sports fan. You know, you you spend a lot of time covering sports from many different angles. You're also a pro wrestling fan, as we talked about here. What are you excited about? In, in pro wrestling today, what are some of the things that you're most excited about, Brother Jermaine? Uh, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is a lot of the young up-and-coming stars in a lot of the different companies. Uh, for example, um, I, I tweeted earlier, I think Ricky Starks is, is one of the guys that AEW should start to build around because the guy can do it on the mic and in the ring, and he's a, he has a good presence on social media as well. Uh, a lot of the other guys like Jungle Boy and Darby Allen get a lot of attention, but keep your eyes on Ricky Starks. I really like what Ricky Starks is doing. Um, Jade Cargill, to be honest with you, is the absolute biggest up and coming thing I see as far as a wrestler who's starting out or at the beginning of their journey and who could take things to a whole different level. And with her going the way she's going and Bianca Belair, as she has established herself as the top act in WWE, in my opinion, especially in that women's division, with Jade climbing that ladder and Bianca already just ahead of her on that ladder, it's going to blaze an even bigger trail for Jade to come in and do something spectacular because of the backs that she's going to be climbing on in, in, in the table that some of these ladies have already set. Um, I would say probably also, I'm trying to think of uh, like, there, there's some tag teams that people just been sleeping on. Um, I'm mad that FTR had to go the way they had to go before they got their just doing recognition as one of the top tag teams out there. Uh, I think the street profits, both of those guys, a lot of people talk about Montez Ford as the star, but Angelo Dawkins can be a star as well. Don't, don't discount him at all. Uh, I just love just watching it and watching how things grow and develop. And I really appreciated AEW for doing the, the Forbidden Door with New Japan. And I'm hoping that they can build upon that. Uh, with the way WWE also cooperated with the John Cena thing and, and uh, had some of their guys send in video or AEW had some of their guys send in videos to WWE. I'm hoping more of that can be more copacetic and they can learn how to work together because when wrestling companies work together, it just benefits us as fans. Now, see that, Brother Jermaine? You, you had to go and say something that I completely disagree with you on. Um, you know, companies that work together, it generally has not worked throughout history. And one of the main reasons why is because somebody has to be on the losing end of the deal. You know, one company is going to be uplifted and presented as greater than the other. Because pro wrestling is about competition. It's about who's the best and who's the not the, who's not the best. So I don't see how that works out, man. Are, are you sure about what you just said there, Jermaine? The way I like to look at it is 
you're drawing eyes to a company, a wrestler, or a certain style that that company and or wrestler may bring that you may not have been paying attention to. Like, there's a lot of fans who watch Forbidden Door because they're AEW fans. They may not necessarily be pro wrestling and or New Japan fans. So when you see a guy like a Tanahashi wrestle a Moxley, or you see a, a Clark Connors, who was a last-minute replacement, had a decent showing in the four-way match for the uh, the all the 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 Intercontinental or whatever the, the title is they call it, um, the All Atlantic title. You 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 kind of say, oh, who's that? Who's this guy? Or what's the story here? Or like they may have heard of uh, Kazuchika Okada, but they've never seen him wrestle, or they don't know why he got the pop that he got when he came out. So when things like that tend to happen, it draws eyes to it. So even if Okada didn't win the 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 uh, the AEW title or Tanahashi didn't win the AEW title or uh, I'm sorry, Okada didn't uh, regain the IWGP title, it draws eyes to those guys. And it may make a fan say, hey, I want to check more of that company or that particular wrestler out. So that's why I say it's not necessarily about the wins and losses. It could be about drawing eyes to a different product. I hear what you're saying, Jermaine, but what's the payoff there? I mean, the return on the investment has to make sense. And we, and we have a, a recent example of this. AEW just had the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. They combined forces with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they put on this quote-unquote supercard that, quite frankly, did abysmal, right? It was one of the worst uh, watched or least watched pay-per-views that AEW's had in over a year. So that's number one. And number two, in Japan, less than 10,000 people took the time to watch that pay-per-view, at least when it first aired. So you're talking about something that was just a complete and utter disappointment compared to what AEW has been pumping out by itself without working with other uh, companies, right? So the return on investment has to make sense here, and, and I'm... And I'm an old school fan, man. I have never seen it work out where everyone benefits. You know, if, if I have a company and you have a company, and we put on a super card. We both should walk away feeling good about our product. And the fans, more importantly, should both walk away feeling better about the products, good about the products, certainly not worse. The, the needle was not moved for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And quite frankly, the needle was pulled back for AEW on that uh, Forbidden Door pay-per-view. I don't think there's any question about that. To me, that, that ROI on that pay-per-view was more about rewarding the hardcore fans, those 7,000 or so in Japan and those few thousand here in the States that actually bought the pay-per-view. Um, that's a drop in the bucket to me for them. Now, when you get the mass crossover appeal is when you start to bring in outside stars that you know, mainstream or more fringe fans tend to recognize uh, WWE does a tremendous job of that because of their name recognition. That's something that AEW is going to have to kind of work on in order to draw in the more casual fans. Because to me, fans here in the States, the more hardcore wrestling fans are going to know, you know, the guys in AAA in Mexico, CMLL in Mexico, New Japan and, and, and different things like that across the globe. Whereas the casual fans, the ones who are going to spend that money and, and get that ROI on things that you invest in, turned up to the max, 
those are the fans that AEW is going to have to find a way to capture. If they can't find a way to capture that, they're going to have to scale things down a little bit and concentrate on their niche audience. And like I said, I know that from my shoot life, like we're a niche business. We know that our company isn't for everybody. So we try to concentrate and market towards that audience that we know is going to spend their money with our business. And I think AEW would benefit themselves greatly if they found out, okay, who are our main core audience? Let's focus and concentrate on all our efforts on capturing them 100% completely. And then once we build up enough of a core audience, then let's see if we can take a chance here and there and branch out and gather in that, that fringe or that casual fan. You know, I was a tape trader when I was a kid. So, you know, old school, new Japan pro wrestling, all Japan, especially all Japan women. I used to suck that stuff up, man. I couldn't get enough of it. I loved Japanese pro wrestling, but it's a niche. And we have to understand that it is an absolute niche. So when we look at something like Forbidden Door, you assume, at least this is my assumption here, the whole point of that pay-per-view for New Japan was to get more visibility, especially in the American market. And I'm not so sure that that happened. I mean, well, I guess it did happen because New Japan is definitely not going to draw the numbers that they drew by themselves in America. But they took a hit in their home country and everywhere else. So overall, was it worth it? And and they definitely did not come off looking any better. They look like a, a promotion that's less than AEW, which is a problem. Because when AEW wrestlers go to Japan, for the most part, they win and they get treated like major stars. So, But that wasn't necessarily the case here for Forbidden Door. And, and AEW didn't necessarily treat New Japan pro wrestling stars like they are mega stars. They treated them just like anybody else who's going to get their ass kicked. So did this pay-per-view, Forbidden Door, did it make you feel more excited or more interested in New Japan pro wrestling? The lately I've been going back and watching a lot of old stuff from New Japan. Um, like uh, when I saw Shibata come out at uh, Forbidden Door, I was like, wait a minute. I haven't seen him in years. Why haven't I heard of him in years? Well, I totally forgot about his his injury back in 2017. And I went back and I watched that match from um, I think it was Sakura Genesis in 2017, where he fought Okada for the title after he won the New Japan Cup. A uh, great match, hard hitting, very strong style. I mean, traditional Japanese strong style type of match. Uh, I went back and I watched a lot of the old stuff, but I, I, I said I was going to start keeping up on some of the newer, more current stuff that they've been putting out uh, because I want to catch back up on things and, and not just fall off and, and have to always catch back up. I want to try to stay up on things. So I haven't been able to watch a lot of their new stuff currently, but I've been making an effort to try to catch up on things as of late. Well, I want to stay on this point here, Jermaine, because you just said something very interesting. You're more apt to look at old school New Japan than the current stuff that's happening right now. And, you know, in fairness, there's only so many hours in a day. So I understand we all can't watch every piece of pro wrestling that's out there. That's not realistic. That's not a realistic expectation. But. New Japan Pro Wrestling is available in the United States on Access TV, and they have their own New Japan World app. So the question becomes, is there a lack of interest in the current product, or is it just a lack of of time? There's not enough 
hours in the day or in a week to consume New Japan Pro Wrestling in addition to what you already consume with WWE and AEW and anything else that you're watching? It's more or less the time thing uh, because I really like I like Okada. I like uh, Shingo Tagaki. Tomohiro Ishii is one of my favorites because that guy can go. And I mean, he does not mind taking a shot or giving one. Uh, I love Naito. I love Naito. I, I really, his whole gimmick when he came back from Mexico with the Los Ingobernales and uh, his whole like laissez-faire, I don't really care attitude, uh, really to me peaked when he would toss around uh, their intercontinental title. And when he would just destroy the belt and just drag it behind him, throw it in the ring, throw it out of the ring. Like, I loved all of that. He has a great heel character and he can work babyface and work that same character, which is what I love about his character flexibility. Uh, they have a lot of guys that are coming up that I like. A lot of their junior heavyweights. Uh, well, Osprey, Jay White, th- those are two guys, one from England, one from New Zealand, who went over there and made a huge name for themselves. Uh, by coming up through the the dojos in New Japan. So it's not only Japanese wrestlers, but there's also, you know, other wrestlers from around the world that are going there and making names for themselves and blowing up. I mean, look at Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. You know, a lot of people knew their stuff from Ring of Honor, but they really blew up with New Japan. Same thing with AJ Styles. Everybody knew who he was from, from TNA Impact, but he took it to another level when he went to New Japan. Cody Rhodes did the same thing. He was on the independence and everything, but what propelled him to that next level is when he went over New Japan. Uh, Chris Jericho did the same thing. So there's a ton of guys there, not only from that they home grow in Japan, but also guys from here in the States and around the world that go to New Japan and come back and, and they have a whole new shine on them. So it's not the the time thing it's or the interest. It's just uh, it's more of a time to consume the product for me. For the pro wrestling world and the pro wrestling that you do have time to consume, um, in 2022 right now, I mean, we're a little bit past the halfway mark for the year. You know, we're already in July, mid-July. But up to this point, who are your MVPs? If I were to say pick one man and one woman, regardless of promotion, who are the two people that are standing out the most to you in the pro wrestling world and why? One man, one woman, regardless of promotion. I would have to go with Jay Cargill as a woman because she really started her ascent in this calendar year uh, where she's taking it to new levels. Uh, So I would definitely have to go with her. The man would be a little bit more difficult for me to come up with. I would have to go with either possibly Roman Reigns or maybe Kazuchika Okada because Coming into Wrestle Kingdom, Tagaki had the title. I believe Okada took it off of him. Okada's about to take some time off with the birth of his first kid. So that's going to, they, they, they took the title off and put it on Jay White. That gave Jay White a whole new shine. And that created a whole like, well, what are they going to do for Forbidden Door with AEW? You know, as far as AEW fans were concerned and whatnot. Um, so he, he means so much to new Japan and so much to what they're doing that he's their Roman, but WWE is such a machine that I hate to say it. And I, people are just going to have to accept this fact. If Roman Reigns had to retire 
this very instant, that machine will still go on. However, if Okada decided to retire or couldn't wrestle from this point forward, New Japan would be sent scrambling. So I would have to lean the edge to Okada because he more or less shifts the needle with what New Japan does more than Roman would shift the needle with what WWE does. You know what I love about your response is that you have you have logic behind it. It makes sense, you know, um, so I can't can't tell you you're right, can't tell you're wrong. But I respect the fact that you've taken the time to consider the question and there is some detailed response for how you arrived at the conclusion that you arrived at. It's good stuff, man. Let everybody know, Jermaine, what's the best way that they can keep up with you online, read your articles, the whole nine yards there? Yeah, you can um, catch me on Twitter at the underscore Jermaine. That's J-E-R-M-A-I-N-E. Uh, same thing on Instagram. It's the underscore Jermaine, J-E-R-M-A-I-N-E. Uh, that's two of my social medias. I, I reserve my Facebook for family and close friends, so I don't normally give that out. And if you send me a random friend request and I don't really know you or can't really remember you nine times out of ten, I'm not going to accept it. Before I let you go, just one last question here, because you are someone that consumes the AEW product. You are somebody who covers sports and covers wrestling. So I know that uh, you'll have a, a defined, a well-defined response to this. Tony Khan is kind of a, a polarizing figure at this point. Uh, the people that support him and like him and like what he's doing, they're very passionate about the way that they stick up for Tony. And the people who are not impressed, they're very passionate about what they're not impressed about as it relates to Tony. Specifically, and I'm not talking about Tony as a human being because we don't know Tony, but the quality of work that he's put out here. There's been a lot of hits and there's been a lot of misses. But one of the, the main things that I've noticed is that this guy loves to tell everyone that he's the one writing the shows. He's the one booking the shows. He's the one making the decision. He himself is doing that. And, you know, Tony, Tony Khan has actually told me that himself. Uh, he, he didn't say it in a, in a very nice way, but he was he was kind of being a little, uh, you know, fresh about it. But I didn't take offense. It is what it is. But still, he's the the buck stops with him in that regard. He's writing it. He's booking it. What's your take on somebody who lacks experience in any role, especially as it relates to sports and sports entertainment and pro wrestling, whatever you want to call it? This guy is not an experienced booker. This guy is not experienced in writing weekly episodic television. And you can tell where his inexperience lies because AEW has these major peaks and valleys and, you know, with the injuries and what have you, it doesn't contribute positively to the issue. It's it's creating a lot of um, frustration within the fan base. People are just not satisfied with the product currently because the booking of the product is all over the place. Like what the hell is going on with Wardlow? Uh, why do we still have so few women's matches on television we only get one a week for some strange reason, as if there's some kind of quota that he, he can only maintain the quota. Uh, black male singles wrestlers are still not pushed as main event stars. They're certainly not competing for the AEW World Championship. They're not being featured as, as legitimate challengers and threats to the AEW World Champion, whoever that may be at the time, or the interim champion. These are all major issues that come back to inexperience in booking. You know, and, and oftentimes, and even people like Chris Jericho have pointed this out, 
people are not paying attention, including the booker. So you have a situation in which you'll see the same thing happen two or three times within one TV episode. The same type of run in and the same type of storyline, despite the fact that there are different groups of people involved in different uh, segments there. But it's just it all comes back to a lack of experience. Um, what's your take on that? Because he is the president of the company. His father does own the company. This is his baby, Tony Khan. What's your take on somebody so inexperienced and yet being adamant about being the sole person controlling everything? Covering sports and stuff since 2009, 2010, roughly. Uh, one of the things that we often talk about when a good head coach or general manager or owner hires someone is they hire people who know what they don't know. So that way you have all your bases covered because there's nothing wrong with admitting you don't know something, but there is something wrong with not knowing something and not doing something about it. This is WWE Hall of Famer JBL, and you are listening to Duke Loves Wrestling. My brothers, my sisters, as always, be kind to yourselves and then be kind to others. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.